6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 13 through 16. So let's go to chapter 14. He's succeeded by King Asa, who is one of the five outstanding of the, uh, of the, the 20 in the south. And uh, we, we're going to see revival. Asa is one of the five kings whom God used to bring revival to the southern kingdom. We want to understand this. We understand what are the conditions that make revival possible. Just having a good leader is not Enough, as we'll see. There has to be some other things. We want to understand that, because we all aspire to having a revival in our country. What will it take? And uh, the northern kingdom never had a revival among their 19 kings. And all of their 19 kings in the north are bad. When, if you go through first, second king, first, you go through the whole history of the northern kingdom, they go from bad to worse. Although, some of them uh, would have to, you know... You say, who had the worst kings, north or south? There's several that w on both sides that would make the final uh, exam on that one. Southern kingdom had 20 kings. Ten of them could be called good. Five were outstanding. So you want to remember their names. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. We're going to talk a little bit about each one of those because they are not only just good guys, they were outstanding in the south. Not outstanding enough to prevent the south from going into captivity because they're... they're, they're the, the northern kingdom is on a downward trend, going, going from bad to worse. The southern thing goes down, up a little bit with one of these good kings from time to time. The overall still is so far down that they, God puts them into captivity. Anyway, Second Chronicles 14. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. He had ten years of peace. That's obviously great. That's when they can prosper and grow. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It's refreshing to get a positive report card here. For he took away the altars of the strange gods in the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves. Now, there's a nomenclature thing. You should understand when they say groves, they're really talking about what really are phallic symbols. They're, they're, they're installations designed for pagan worship a very licentious form of worship, and usually on the pe mountain peaks. You will generally not find Israel celebrating in any proper way on the peaks. It's in the, the peaks or the high places, the high ground was always used by the pagans. And so when they say it took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, they mean these temples that were to the false gods. And they broke down those images and cut down the groves. That's, from a spiritual point of view, good news that they had the, the resolve to do that. And uh, Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. In other words, returning back to the Torah, to the time. Also, he took away out of all the cities of Judah 
the high places, the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. He still built fences, though. He's still, he's armed, he's protecting, but still they had peace. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. So they're building their, up their defenses, and uh, apparently the ones that his grandfather, Rehoboam, had fortified before, and that subsequently Shishak from uh, Egypt had conquered. Back there, this was back in chapter 12 of Second Chronicles, you may recall. And Asa had an army of men that, were, that bear targets and spears. When he says targets, those are shields, in other words. And spears. Out of Judah, 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 204 score, 280,000. All these were mighty men of valor. So these are formidable military capabilities. And there came out against... Zerah, them, Zerah the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots, and came to Mereshah. Now, Mereshah is about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Something you and I wouldn't be familiar with unless we've studied ancient African history, but the Ethiopians were, there was an era there where they were the militant, powerful, um, uh, powerful in the military sense, uh, uh, there's a whole history there that is worth getting into, but, uh, but anyway, Zerah, the, often, the, uh, often the, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt is not Egyptian, he's Ethiopian. Very powerful military tradition behind them. But anyway, Zerah of Ethiopia with a host of a thousand thousand, that's a million, and three hundred chariots are coming to Merishah. And Asa went out against them, and they set the battle in array in the valley of uh, Zephathah at Merishah. And, uh, but it's interesting, notice what Asa does right up front. He cries unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So we see Asa portrayed here as a man of prayer, a man of trusting God. He does his homework. He's got his army, he's made his fortifications, he's not sitting back, and, but he's not depending on them, he's depending on God. That's the real point here. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them to Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, and they carried away very much spoil. So this is a big win. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar. For the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all those cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. And they smote also the tents of cattle, and carried away sheep and camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. And these, by the way, in the translations, are Cushites. They say Ethiopians in English. The, the, the Cushites were on both sides of the Red Sea. There were Ethiopia and that which we consider part of it, the uh, southern part of Saudi Arabia was part of that, imp that empire in those days. And uh, so, so there's no more war. From this point on, they will have no more war between Judah and Egypt or Ethiopia, the one, 
until we get to Josiah. That's going to be a long time downstream, but when they do there, it's going to be very, very important for us to understand. But between this event and the days of Josiah, no problems. No problems. So now we're chapter 15, Asa's reforms. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you, while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without a true, the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. Notice that. Without a teaching priest. In J. Vernon McGee's commentary, when he treats this area, he makes quite a point of that. He, his, his, his sort of postures that preachers are a dime a dozen. Teachers are what's missing. People mean well, they evangelize, but unless there's sound teaching of the Word of God, it's with, it, it won't have lasting effect. And even here, we see that uh, they had been long without it to God and without a teaching priest. See, the job of the priests were to teach. The job of the Levites in all the cities were to be the teachers. And without law, they were lawless. We want to pay attention because our land has become a lawless land. We no longer have the rule of law in this country. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. In J. Vernon McGee's treatment of this, he likes to highlight three essential bridges for revival. And here we're encountering the first of three, which he, he calls them bridges. We might call them prerequisite conditions, whatever. Knowledge of the Word of God is fundamental. You won't have a revival unless there's knowledge of the Word of God. One of the great tragedies in our nation is the biblical illiteracy, even within the churches. It's one of the reasons we do what we do, is trying to repair that if we can. And of course, with the Internet... And online courses, people can individually repair that. They don't have to, they're not dependent on a, on a, uh, necessarily on a situation. And so, um, and we're not talking about a, a superficial familiarity or having an artificial vocabulary, but knowledge of the Word of God. That's what we're talking about here. But continuing Chronicles 15, verse 6. The nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them all with adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, this was a preachment he got there, and the prophecy, uh, heard these words in the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage, and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin. And now those are used as territorial terms, not tribal terms. Understand that because that's the land of Judah the, the, that were allocated under Joshua, those areas. Anyway, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and the strangers, and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. Notice the allusions here. Manasseh and Ephraim are not lost. There are people that emigrated from those regions down here. Because he, he gathered all those that live in Judah, including, he, they use the term strangers here, you might use the term the immigrants, if you will, from up north. We talked about that previously. I just want to say, I want you to show you that that's all through the scriptures. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. In other words, these are people that had it with the north, with the idol worship and all of that under Jeroboam. 
Now, you need to understand something else that's usually not brought out. Under Jeroboam up there north, they were doing idol worship and all that, but they were prospering materially. It's not like they were, you know, poor. They were, they were, they were, it was great. Not spiritually great, though. So they gathered themselves together, Jerusalem, in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asaph. And they offered him to the Lord the same, uh, the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Wow. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. So any of you that aren't seeking the living God... Meet me outside. We, <laughs> you know, we can't visualize doing that, can we? And yet they, they didn't mess around. That whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Boy, they took it seriously. And they swore unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. I won't ask for a show of hands how many would be ready to do that tonight. You should all be that, feel that way. So there's three bridges. Here's the second one. Scriptural separation. It's the second one of J. Vernon McGee's three bridges he draws from this. And, uh, of course, this idea of separation is one of the most abused words in Christian circles. And uh, there are many that, you know, if you don't happen to worship the way they do, you're just not with it. We're not talking about that. And uh, that's not scriptural separation at all. That's just pride. It's not, you're, you know. But at the same time, it is, it is part of this is to, in fact, recognize we are called to be separate from the world itself. Going on, and also concerning Makkah, the mother of Asa the king, there's this word that confuses a lot of people because that word shows up a lot of different places. He removed her from being queen. Really? This guy's got guts. Also concerning Makkah, the mother of Asa the king, he removed her from being queen. Why? Because she had made an idol in a grove. That's a pagan thing to do. And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the brook Kidron. So his own mother, queen mother, disgraced because he would not tolerate her idol worship. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect in all his days. He didn't get them all, in other words. He did a lot, but he didn't get them all. Still, he gets a positive report card from the chronicler here. And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and vessels. He personally enriched the temple. And uh, it's uh, probably to replace a lot that Shishak had plundered in, back there in chapter 12, and, uh, in his grandfather's day. They're still smarting from that invasion, probably. And uh, so God gave Asa peace um, for a period until his 35th year. There was no more war until the 5 and 30th year of the reign of Asa. But he does have a lapse of faith. Let's get into this here. In the 6th and 30th year of the reign of Asa, Bash, Basha, the king of Israel, 
This is a rival king of the north. Came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. Now right here is an interesting thing. The, the then king of the north was getting fed up with the people migrating to the south. People are leaving idol worship to join the south. So much so that he's creating what you and I would call a, an iron curtain kind of thing. And uh, to try to stop that. So that let none go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. So they've got a problem. So this, this, ten, this tendency I've been talking about is still manifest here. This is a couple of generations now. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasure of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who that dwelt in Damascus. Now understand, he's got an enemy up here, northern king, the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. They have an enemy to the east called Syria. And um, the king there is Ben-Hadad, who is in contract with the northern kingdom, but he's going to bribe him to cut that and join him against the northern kingdom. Now, from, from a power politics point of view, that sounds pretty, pretty shrewd. From a spiritual point of view, it's a bad idea. Anyway, he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and that dwelt in Damascus, saying, There's a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have set thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Basha, the king of Israel, that he may depart from me. In other words, break your deal with Israel, the, the northern kingdom, uh, and here's, here's my bribe. Okay? And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto the king Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they smote Ejon and Dan and uh, ebel Amaim and uh, the, all the store cities of Naphtali. So this is, would seem to be working. And it came to pass when Basha heard it, that he left off building Ramah and let his work cease. So he gave up the idea of the... Then Asa took... The king, Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah, and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha was building, and he built therewith Geba and Mitzpah. So all the building materials that they had planned to use, the, the southern kingdom got and, and fortified itself with those. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, well done, young, well done, young man. No, 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 that's not what he said. Said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. See, it's interesting. Carnal policies often bring on the very evil which they shun. And what Hannah is reproving Asa is, is that he's telling that if he had not relied on the king of Syria, instead of, instead of because he relied on him rather than Jehovah, he now had him as a vassal rather than the other way around. If he had trusted the Lord, the, he would have won and the Syrians would be, his, uh, uh, would be giving him tribute, not the other way around. He said, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them in thine hand. He's referring back to the previous victory. I mean, you know, what's wrong with you? You trusted the Lord and you won. Why didn't you do it this time? That's what the prophet's saying. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Boy, there's a principle you can apply throughout the scripture. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. 
toward, not perfect, complete. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Ooh. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house, for he was enraged with him because of this thing. Yes, right. If you don't like the message, jail the messenger, right? <laughs> then Asa was wroth with the seer, the prophet. Put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Same thing happened to Jeremiah. He was, he was, he was preaching. They threw him in a dungeon. They didn't like the message. And uh, that's, that's one of the tragedies that a pastor faces. The pastor's message is popular. It may not be what God wants him to speak. And it takes a lot of backbone, a lot of strength spiritual strength for a pastor to stand up and speak what the Lord would have him speak rather than market research and become seeker friendly and all those things. There's a place for that. There is, but more often than not, it's misplaced. So we have three bridges. The knowledge of the Word of God, scriptural separation, aha, faith in God. Is there faith in our country? Certainly there's not knowledge of the Word of God. We've got a problem there. Certainly we have a tendency to mix, not separate. We don't walk, you know, most of us proclaim that we're Christians, but we live like agnostics. If we were on trial for being a Christian, there's not enough evidence to convict us. But then the real issue is faith in God. And uh, not, not faith in methods, not faith in man, not faith in the church, in, organizational center, in organizations. Faith in God. Habakkuk 2.4, a core concept that becomes the foundation for a trilogy in the New Testament. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the just shall live by faith. Well, what are, who are the just? That's what the book of Romans talks about and uses this very verse as a springboard. Who are the just? The book of Romans are, is the definitive book in the, in the New Testament on defining just what we mean by being justified. Well, the justified shall, how shall they live? That's what Galatians talks about. That what, that uh, you love by, the just shall live by faith. And Galatians 3.11 quotes this verse to be the cornerstone of the entire epistle. The just shall live how? By faith. And that's what Hebrews chapter, that's what Hebrews deals with and quotes this very verse in Hebrews 10.38. And one of the interesting things that's often overlooked by many commentators is that these three epistles, the Epistle to the Romans, Epistle to Galatians, the Epistle to Hebrews, are a trilogy, if you will, on Habakkuk 2.4. That's one of the reasons we hold the view, not the only one, but one of the reasons we believe that Hebrews was written by Paul. It's a con many good scholars don't agree, you know, suspect it could be somebody else. But uh, that's one reason, one of the several reasons we think they, because they are an integrated. Now, if Paul didn't write Hebrews, it's even more amazing because the Holy Spirit clearly has orchestrated this to be a trilogy on the book, on, on Habakkuk 2.4, which of course was the, the um, catalytic verse that precipitated the Reformation, if you've, if you've studied that history. Anyway, moving on. And behold, the Acts of Asa, first and last, lo, were they written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And by the way, this is not first and second kings. These are, these are narratives that are lost. These aren't allusions to the first and second kings we have in our scripture. And Asa in the thirtieth and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. 
There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor, but there's quite a difference between relying on that in contrast to relying on the Lord. You should relent, you should, you're responsible for what's possible, and God will take care of what's not possible. But the, uh, the, what the, the thought here is that he sought not the Lord. Going to physician, this does not indict, some people say, gee, that means you shouldn't go to doctors. No, that's what it means. It's who, you, it's who you're trusting. Go to the doctors, but trust the Lord. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And a lot of people start reconciling this. They fail to understand there was an overlap in, between him and his son because of the incapacity. So they were co-regents for a while, and that explains a lot of other problems that people come up to. And they buried him in his own sepulchers, which he had made for himself in the city of David, laid him in bed, which was filled with sweet odors and divers kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art, and they made a very great burning for him. It was not a cremation. It's like burning candles at a funeral. Don't confuse. They don't, the Jews don't cremate. But the great burning mean they celebrated with candles and whatever, uh, honored him highly. So that sets us up for the next session, in which we're going to explore King Jehoshaphat, which is quite a guy. But then we're going to also take a look, uh, timing permitting, we'll get into Isaiah and Queen. Did you know there's a queen on the throne of David? Many people don't realize that. Athaliah. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we just praise you for who you are. We thank you for the lessons you have here, Father. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us apply these lessons to ourselves. Lessons of ancient history, yes, but lessons of leadership. Lessons of reliance on you and not letting the worldly things get in the way, but rather just to trust you. Help us, Father, to have a revival and have it start with ourselves, with the knowledge of the word, with a call to walking a separate path, and with faith in you. Help us through your spirit and your word to be more effective for you as we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music